coming up on Harvard Chan This Week in Health, taking a critical look at healthcare in lower income countries. I think what we're calling for and asking for is not an American level health system, but a health system that offers the very basic guarantee of quality. The new research asking the question, is any care good care? Hello, and welcome to Harvard Chan This Week in Health. It's Thursday, October 6th, 2016. I'm Noah Levitt. Amy Montemurro is off this week. In this week's episode, we'll be talking with two researchers who are asking critical questions about long-standing strategies to improve health in low- and middle-income countries. So this was a first effort to do a systematic look at the basic quality of care uh, in health facilities throughout sub-Saharan Africa. One of those researchers is Margaret Kruk, Associate Professor of Global Health at the Harvard Chan School. And to set the stage for our story, we asked her to describe the healthcare system that people in lower income countries face. Here in the U.S., you may be used to making an appointment with your primary care doctor for a range of conditions. In a low income country, Crux says it's a very different picture. If you have something like diabetes or um, hypertension in, in Tanzania, you can be certain that your local clinic will do nothing for you because that clinic is geared to only maternal and child health and immunization. So for one thing, assuming you know you have that disease, which is, which is not, in fact, the case for most people who are sick with it, you've got to plan your entire day around traveling to a city to be able to see the one person who understands your condition uh, because it, it hasn't actually uh, permeated through the health system that that's a health priority. And, if, and for the mom who's pregnant and thinking about her obstetrician visit, again, it things couldn't be more different. In a rural clinic of the kind that we're describing in in our papers, uh, she may have to bring her own water to keep herself clean during the delivery process in order to be able to get through that labor and deliver or to even be admitted to the clinic. There are instances where midwives make the women go back to their house to bring in a bucket of water. In two recent studies, Kruk, who you just heard from, and Hannah Leslie, a postdoctoral fellow at the Harvard Chan School, looked at two key areas the facilities in low- and middle-income countries where women are giving birth, and the -the on-the-job training and supervision that health workers receive. These strategies are tied to the eight Millennium Development Goals established by the United Nations in 2000. One key aim of the MDGs was to improve maternal health and reduce child mortality in low-income countries by encouraging women to give birth in nearby health facilities rather than at home. The idea was that giving birth in a health facility designated to handle deliveries would save women's and newborns' lives because birth complications are unpredictable. But Crux says that hasn't necessarily been the case. I think we worry that in our rush to get women into healthcare, we've sort of let our standards founder, or maybe we've just deliberately not really looked at those standards uh, because we felt that any care was good care. And I think this paper really questions that. Is any care good care? We don't think so. In research published in Lancet Global Health, Kruk and her fellow researchers found that more than 40% of health facility births in five African countries are taking place in poor quality facilities with crucial deficiencies in staffing, infrastructure, referral systems, and routine emergency care practices. They measured this by creating an index of 12 indicators and measuring the basic maternal care functions in Kenya, Namibia, Rwanda, Tanzania, and Uganda, all countries with high maternal mortality rates. A key finding is that surgical facilities, such as ones that are able to perform C-section deliveries, perform twice as well as primary care facilities. 
something about having that additional health system function of, of surgery, maybe it has to do with infection control and with the greater competence of health workers that are providing these, these procedures, somehow that seems to raise the boat for everybody else delivering in that facility. You know, in short, I think what we're seeing is a pattern of you have to have the surgical care there um, and you have to have enough volume to learn and to do a good job uh, in order to provide a high quality delivery. Crook says that evidence suggests that those facilities that can handle a high volume of births, in this case more than 500 per year, and perform C-sections, have the highest quality of neonatal and obstetric care. She says that it's time for the global conversation to shift simply from access to care to quality of care. Although I think our findings are pretty straightforward, I do think they're going to be controversial because the global community has been so invested uh, and their national partners uh, during the Millennium Development Goal era in increasing coverage at just really at any cost almost. Um, And I just don't think that's benefited all the women that it should have benefited because some of the care is substandard. Uh, And I think that's why we're seeing, frankly, some of the um, disappointing progress on maternal mortality in countries that have managed high coverage. So I think there is going to be some controversy around this recommendation that we should be moving women into higher capacity, more capable facilities. But, But it's time to discuss that. We're at that point. It isn't really fair any longer to women and to countries uh, to be supporting systems that don't work for people. Kruk and Hannah Leslie are challenging conventional wisdom in another area. In a study published in the journal Health Affairs, Leslie examined how training and supervision of healthcare providers affects the quality of care for pregnant women and sick children. The research focused on in-service training, which takes place on the job, Compare that to pre-service training, which occurs in a diploma or degree program. Leslie looked at data from 20,000 observations of visits to a healthcare provider in Kenya, Malawi, Namibia, Rwanda, Senegal, Tanzania, and Uganda, and found that training and supervision of healthcare workers did not meaningfully improve the quality of care. The main takeaway, Leslie says, is that focusing on training and supervision at an individual level is unlikely to improve overall quality of care in a country. I think there needs to be much broader consideration of the levers that can uh, that we can experiment with to try and change quality. And I think probably moving beyond the individual provider level and thinking about the context of the facility or the management level is we know a lot less there. We've certainly put a lot less, a lot fewer resources into that than have gone into training and supervision. I think the country differences also speak to things, suggest that they're sort of pre-service training of nurses and clinicians may be better in some of these countries than others. And so there's greater opportunity to assess quality as people are leaving medical school or nursing school or their degree program uh, and make some improvements in specific countries in that area. Crux says this is another area where the global health community needs to rethink its strategies and priorities, but that will be difficult. She says that much of the financial aid from higher income countries, such as the United States, focuses on training. That's because using this money to complete health worker training can be counted as a quick win. Crux says there needs to be a broader focus on quality of care. And according to her, that push needs to come from countries delivering that care and not just their international aid providers. Both for countries and for their international partners, this is a a long-term issue that they're going to have to engage in and that we have to give up the idea that we can take you know, folks who may have gone through a, a, a limited school system even to, to 12th grade graduation, then gone into maybe, uh, an, you know, an incredibly uh, busy uh, nurse training program, and then are going out with very little sort of um, 
infrastructure and support, I think the expectations for them to perform up to international levels is just unrealistic right now. And so how do we fix that? Well, long-term engagement. Um, a, a national emphasis on quality, um, starting with who do you admit to nursing and medical school? How do you prepare those people best? Uh, what's the content of that curriculum? Do we know that they're doing a good job when they graduate? Um, and then I think for the international and, and all the support once they're out in practice, including frequent retrainings. And I think the, the role of the international partners is to figure out where do we fit in that and what can we, what can we do? What can we support? Um, maybe it is curricular development. Maybe it is better pre-service uh, education. Maybe it is a stronger management infrastructure that supports quality. But I do think all of it has to start with a commitment to quality that is fundamentally national and cannot be replaced from, by training from the outside. The stakes here are high, Crocker and Mosley say. Because there has been such a focus on improving access to care, it's critical to ensure that when people seek medical attention, they receive basic, good quality care. Here's Crocker again. And I think we run now the risk of having uh, disenchanted populations, people who aren't getting better through their contacts with the health and people who are maybe even going broke, paying for that health care. Um, and to us, that's a huge danger, both in population health, that's foregone because people aren't, aren't improving, but also, again, in this sort of confidence, which is a, a fundamental um, uh, good and fundamental goal of health systems. You know, you can't, if your population isn't confident that you're gonna deliver for them, the next time there's an outbreak or an epidemic, uh, they're not gonna come and they're not gonna listen to these health messages. And think back to that example Kruk gave at the beginning of the episode. For the mom who's pregnant and thinking about her obstetrician visit, she may have to bring her own water to keep herself clean during the delivery process in order to be able to get through that labor and delivery or to even be admitted to the clinic. She says that is something that shouldn't be happening in a health system that's delivering quality care one that is not putting the burden on the patient for basic services. We are talking about a very, very differently resourced health system. And yet, I think what we're calling for and asking for is not an American-level health system, not an OECD-level health system, but a health system that offers the very basic guarantee of quality. Um, The clean water needs to be there, and it shouldn't be the woman's problem. It should be the health system's problem. Thank you again to Margaret Kruk and Hannah Leslie for taking the time to speak with us. If you want to learn more about their research, we'll have some links posted on our website, hsph.me slash thisweekinhealth. And that's all for this episode of Harvard Chan This Week in Health. I'm Noah Levitt. Just a quick heads up that we'll be off next week, but we'll return on Friday, October 21st with a brand new episode. A reminder that you can always find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. And if you're a fan, please take a few minutes and leave us a review.